And then I've often thought about this as I drive down and looking at interstate construction offices as, as you drive by. And, you know, especially here in Colorado and Utah and Wyoming, it's like there's always some pickup with a shuttle pad on the on the back of the tailgate, right? And it's like, I really want to find out who that person is sitting in that construction office, that temporary construction office, and just go like, hey, man, like you could actually come like manage a construction project building what you what you could write on the weekends. But I know that we probably can't pay them, you know, what they get paid to sit there in that construction office. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 129 once again features Greg Mayzou of Single Track Trails. During this conversation, we discussed Greg's presentation titled The Value of a Professional Dirt Bag, which was part of the 2023 International Trail Summit held in Reno this past April. We also discussed Greg's thoughts on the summit as a whole and how it has grown. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dojustsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. We are continuing to build out the affiliate link section on the Trail Effect Podcast website with some of the best products in their categories. A huge thank you goes out to the multiple people who have placed orders for Cattle Mountain Apparel and Trail One components. This support definitely does not go unnoticed. I hope you are all enjoying the products that have been ordered. When you use the links found under the affiliate section at the Trail Effect website, a portion of the proceeds will help fund the Trail Effect podcast. Bonus, use the code TRAILPOD when checking out for a 20% discount on all Kettle Mountain Apparel and Trail One components. 230 USA has come on board as an affiliate for the Trail Effect podcast also. If you are familiar with rooftop tents and overlanding, 230 likely has been on your radar. Check out their affiliate links on the Trail Effect podcast website and learn about the well-thought-out designs that 230 has to offer. Now on to Trail Effect with Greg Mazu and the value of a professional dirt bag. The value of a professional dirt bag. Yes. That's a presentation that sounds like you've been doing for about a year now, maybe close to a year. I was invited to Italy last year to the Imba Europe conference. And I, I believe that was the first time that I gave it. And I've given a couple variations of it over the last year or so. So about one year, that was last June that I first gave it. And and since I've been modifying it a couple of times and got to present it in Reno uh, in April. So this is going to be kind of a recreation of that presentation, which includes a reflection on the actual summit itself and maybe some comments or feedback you may have gotten during that presentation or after that presentation. And then I'll have your co-presenter on which will be part two of this in a separate interview. So we'll get both yours and Drew's perspective on the value of a professional dirt bag. Is this going to be like a, a, a four hour long presentation on the podcast? No, you're, you're going to figure out how to limit us to a small, a small amount of time. Okay. 
Well, I, I mean, four hours, no, one hour, likely. Yes, each. understood. Yeah, each. Woo. Okay. We can do it in two. I'll probably do it in two. I'll probably release one show on Tuesday, which would be the first one to be your show. And then the other show on, on a Thursday, okay. you know okay. what I mean? So it'll be two separate yeah. parts. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. So it's kind of how you presented it at the conference too. It was like, you did your thing and Drew did his thing and they were two yep. kind of one of the same, but also totally different. Correct. And, and I was pretty pumped that, that, uh, that was kind of almost a last second deal for us to be put together because of the whole society of outdoor recreation professionals not getting left off the docket, but they were trying to find a way. So, so I had, I was only given 20 minutes in Europe to give that presentation and I submitted it for this conference. And I was like, how am I going to make this thing an hour? And so, so when Drew and Rachel reached out, I was, I was pretty, pretty excited to have them be able to fill half the space, half the time. Yes. Yeah. And it's good because that's, I think that's a organization that a lot of people probably are not aware of in this space. I know I have only seen Drew talk about it on like LinkedIn, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, no, you're, you're exactly right. As, as, as I like to say, and I say this in front of Drew and Rachel all the time is. American trails is kind of for the decision makers that that conference PTBA is for the dirt diggers and sort the SORP conference, the NORC, as it's called the national outdoor recreation conference is for the nerds. So it, it's historically been like a whole bunch of academics getting together and talking about research that they've done. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's been slow. It's been slow to, uh, to build its momentum, but it's getting there. Well, there's more, I guess, course offerings on a academic level as well now too. Yes, yes, yes. Let's get into your your side of the value of, of a professional dirtbag, and maybe you could probably talk about how it has morphed and what you've done to that presentation since first giving it in Europe. Yeah, well, I can. It's even morphed in 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 the last week. Uh, for for me since since uh we got back i actually had a couple staff members i actually had a first time ever i think i actually had staff members in my presentation like for like in all the years that i've been doing a presentation i actually had i actually had some 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 staff members in there and so we were kind of chatting about some of the concepts that i i i i had in the presentation and and it's actually a pretty interesting concept because of you know, everybody in the company historically has grown from the dirt, including myself, right? And and we now have people who have come to the company to work for us who did not come from the dirt. And 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 it, you know, what what the what they kind of wanted to talk about the most was nomads and misfits. They're they they're like, we need to we need to rebrand that a little bit. We and because they 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 don't feel like they kind of, you know they see this as the next step in their professional career and not, you know, not when I say that, you know, people that think that trails are built by fairies and elves, you know, when they're really built by nomads and misfits uh, and we're trying to make them professional dirtbags. Well, I have a, a whole bunch of staff now that, that work within the companies that, you know, they, they didn't grow up from the dirt. And so, so they don't relate like most of my trail building staff, they relate to the, to that, that sequence. Right. Fairies, everybody thinks that fairies and elves build build trails because most of us were fairies and elves out there building trails on the side and doing things. 
And then we got into trail building and as a profession, because we wanted to travel and go do this stuff. And now, you know, my staff, you know, we're becoming a professional industry. This tiny little industry is becoming professional and it's becoming modernized and, and developing. And so it's really like they prefer to be a dirt bag, but they're actually professional dirt bags. And, and, and so it was interesting to see how some of my staff responded to, to, to this. And it's like, I've been saying this, giving this presentation, I've been saying trails are built by, you know, people think that trails are built by fairies and elves for, for many years and, and going through that sequence of, of things. And this was the first time that I've actually had uh, uh, staff who who did not grow up from swinging tools on trails go like, hey, by the way, we don't relate to that part. And so if we're really going to be talking about professionalizing the industry, uh, we believe that you should stop giving that sequence. And so I, we haven't come to a conclusion on, on what that is. Uh, we'll probably need to get together and hang out and and either ride bikes or or or, or throw darts or, or do something and, and, and hash out and hash out what we really want to, uh, what, what the sequence is going to be. But in the long run, if, if we're talking about professionalizing in this industry, you know, we, as, as dirt builders who, uh, grew up through this have to professionalize ourselves and think that, and think that, uh, Hey, like, like if we want other people from outside trail building to come into this industry, we have to be more inviting to them. Yes. And I think on first val- and face value, I'd say, how about professional nomads and professional misfits? <laughs> but that uh, still won't well, be relatable. <laughs> I fully relate to it. I mean, in 2022, I spent 43 weeks on the road where I spent one night away from home for the whole year. So, so I, I prefer, I, I live nowhere, but I have a home everywhere I go. And I prefer to be the professional nomad. And, and dare I say, um, I usually am the misfit in, in whatever group of people I'm in, I'm the misfit. I either travel too much or I, or I, 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 I have a mortgage, right? So, so, so I, I, I feel like I don't fit in anywhere. So, so I don't know what they're thinking. I, 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 I say nomad and misfit and, and it feels it, it hits pretty close to home. And I, I like how it feels. And you can be a nomad and a misfit and not come from the dirt. And you can be a nomad. Yeah. So that's very correct. And I mean, I mean, hashtag van life, right? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like there's very, there's not as many people who love, like to me, nomads and misfits are people who just travel all the time kind of thing. But again, like you, you are correct. We have to be more open-minded. I have to open up my mind and be, be more accepting, be more accepting of this. Well, and I think we're going to, we're obviously going to see more of that because more people are going to come into the industry from, we're going to say the academic side of things as schools add to their programs, the trail building and outdoor recreation aspect of what we do at PTBA and American trails do together. Yeah, that will help. That will help. Like uh, what I see, what I see with the what is it? Fifteen or twenty-five different community colleges right now have have some sort of certificate program to educate uh, folks to the vocation of trail building and, and what it takes to be a trail builder. But I think what we overlook on that is uh, people who go are going to school for a professional degree: uh, the architect, the engineer, the the construction manager the you know all of the all of those things that you think you go to 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 get a four-year degree and then you leave and you go work for a a major 
a major general contractor, some sort of design three letter design firm or anything like that. And you're working and you're building concrete buildings. Uh, you're building prisons and highways and, and all that kind of thing. And, and really like if we're professionalizing the industry, we are inviting people who get these, these professional degrees to think that, Hey, I don't have to go work for this multinational road builder hanging out in the middle of the, of the next interstate or the next interstate remodel. I can actually go do high quality work and bring uh, improved infrastructure to communities across the country and have a, have a, have an impact. That's not just getting more cars and trucks down a highway faster and safer. Yeah. And that's a very good point. You know, you say that and I'm thinking, you know, so we're going to say the words rock solid. They brought on a civil engineer on in-house for staff. Right. Yeah. And I'm using that as an example because it's one that I know, but that's a perfect right. example of like the civil engineer they brought in at one point worked for a, probably a three-letter design firm, engineering, right. engineering firm, you know, and, and like right. myself, I worked for a, I guess it's six letters, but there's the, the second three letters are DOT. Right. And it's and, super yeah. relatable in this industry now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we brought, uh, you know, I brought Annie McFarlane on uh, at the end of 2021 to run our planning department. And she came from a three letter engineering company and she had worked for a, a uh, contentious land management agency in, in Colorado uh, in, in a county that shall not be named uh, be, before she went there as, as well. And yeah, and it's like so. So we're seeing we're seeing this 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 move over, and and it's interesting to think you know being at P, at the uh, I should say the International Trail Symposium. I default always saying the PTBA conference, but you know seeing the mixture of, of people there and and seeing that you know most of, out of nine hundred people, probably a good eighty five to ninety percent still probably think of that conference being specific to just turning dirt and building being out in the woods as a, as a, as a fairy and an elf or, or a gnome or whatever, whatever, whatever anti anti establishment terminology you would like to use. But if we're truly going to get to a point where, where trails are line items in, in, in state municipal federal, the federal budget, man, if we, if we, if we could get a, a line item budget on an, on a budgetary approval basis i would say annual but we know that they don't approve budget it's on an annual basis you know for you know you know this deferred maintenance this this infamous deferred maintenance that that they like to throw around it's just like if 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 people would respect trail outdoor recreation as as the economic driver that it is you know there would be a lot of people coming like like there's going to be a lot of a lot of small time trail builders that will probably be put out of business because the regional general contractors will be seeing will be seeing the options of, hey, I don't need to build another parking lot. We can go build something cool out in the woods that people will love, and not just have to like go do donuts in when the when the parking lot's empty. Well, and there's also been more and more either subcontracting or just working with those three letter firms to get mm-hmm. infrastructure put in, whether it's a trail contractor going to the three letter firm or the three letter firm going to a trail contractor or a municipality, like requiring some sort of cooperation with that because the three letter firm doesn't have the actual 
knowledge for a real legitimate trail plan. So they lean on a trail professional, mm-hmm. but it still gets rolled into a bigger plan with parking right. lots and, and all the other stuff that you need. Well, yeah, because as a, as a, as an issue with our, with our industry is most of the people, you know, a significant percentage of the people who are doing trail plans, they, they start at the dirt and they don't want to, they don't want to plan where the vault toilet goes and they don't want to plan storm water and they don't want to plan uh, ingress and egress off of, off of highways or the signage and, and, and the warnings. They, they want to go hang ribbons out in the trees and be out there, which, I mean, I was that person for a long time too, but but you know, like we, this this country, this world has too many trailheads that are just a random dirt pull off uh, that you got to know where it is, and then you know, all of a sudden that trail becomes popular, and it's got maybe half a dirt lot for for one car, and and you know, forty people are showing, forty cars are showing up for a group ride, and and we're not we're not allocating the proper resources, and so again that part as well people just don't they think of trails as an escape but trails are an essential portion a essential part of our economy you know why it's why we all live where we where we live and and you can have trails everywhere you know in mississippi they they have they have trails in mississippi i've ridden them with, yeah. with a parking lot and you just painted the picture in my head of what i just experienced when i was in colorado a couple weeks ago and that is when i met another rider at the Loma exit just mm-hmm. west of Fruta right at on a Saturday at, I don't know, I think it was 10 AM mm-hmm. and you have a decent parking lot, but it's way over overloaded. Right. I mean that, that Mac Ridge trailhead that you were at, at the Loma exit, you know, that's been there. You know, this is the other thing is that trailhead has been there for 25, 30 years and they, they've never increased it in size. And in 2018, maybe, maybe 2019, I think it was 2018, possibly 2017. Uh, we, we, we built the, uh, the, the, the Hawkeye trail right there. So, so now you have a reason for people to park there. And then, you know, because most of us used to, you get off at Loma and then you drive down the frontage road and you park at the Mac Ridge more fun saddle, which has a random trailhead sign, but, but no parking, no vault toilet, no, no nothing. And then you can go over to the main Coca Pelli trailhead. And, and that thing was put in, you know, probably, uh, I think it was put in in like 2001, 2002. Uh, it was really kind of before I started building trails is when they put that thing in as, uh, as a living for building trails for a living. And so, you know, that thing's overrun. And, you know, even, Last weekend when I was over there, went out to 18 Road and they have the trailhead they built 20 years ago. They have the campground and it's like they've built two other parking lots in the last few years or parking areas. And then they've added the event space and then they've added more desert camping. And it's just like there are literally like 400, 500 cars out there. Uh, Fortunately, you didn't bump it. You still don't bump into a lot of people. But yeah, it's just like those those are, you know. You know, it's like, you know, can you imagine if we had to go to a NBA playoffs game and 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 park on side streets and 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 no no parking? Like they they build parking lots for for that recreation. Why can't they build parking lots for our recreation? But you know, getting off of 
I, I feel like we completely sidetracked a little bit off of off of off of this into a nice little soapbox rant. But you know, it's it's why all of us getting into what we're doing is 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 uh, I'll, I'll 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 put a button on this one is we don't have enough professionals coming you know who think about this stuff in the trail building industry right now. So you know, as as we get together and talk about trails and plan trails. You know, and I was this guy. I only wanted to think about the trails. I didn't want to think about the trailhead. And we now need to have people who think about does does this parking lot need a stoplight out at this highway? Do we, you know, do we need to have proper signage from multiple miles away for wayfinding? How big does the pit toilet, vault toilet need to be for the amount of traffic that we're going to get here? And oh, by the way, let's install trail counters so that we can see how many people are actually using this for sure i will i will button that button for you and just throw a comment out of i finished my ride on the hawkeye trail which was a lot of fun yeah uh if 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 i may say i believe it's in the top five of all time single track trails ever built so it was good and i was texting with james prior to that Mm -hmm. for some intel yeah yeah, it's it's uh they 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 did a really good job on that one and 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 I like it. I like it a lot. You know, some some people when you come down it, there's a there is a little bit of a climb. The guy who designed it uh is known he he's known for putting uphills both directions. Uh he also walked to school barefoot way back, way back in the day in snow and went uphill both ways. So his trails tend he finds a way to make his trails go uphill both ways, but you know, you just, you just get a little bit more descent. People, people need to, they need to refocus how they look at it. It's not, it's not that there's a climb. It's that you're gaining more descent. Yes, for sure. And I was super happy that I had a rider with me. She told me, she goes, keep your eye out on the sides of this Mm -hmm. for rock rolls and other optional features. And I was super happy that that comment was made because I took advantage of almost all of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, uh, there, there are a couple, there are a couple you got to be careful of if you're following somebody. If you're, if you're off by by six inches, you're gonna stuff, you're gonna stuff your front wheel in something that that you don't want to stuff your front wheel. Yeah. Well, fortunately, I didn't have that experience. But let's get back onto the value of a professional dirt bag, okay. and how you've, you know, you kind of talked about how you're you're reframing that presentation now with your staff, but you know how it's kind of evolved from Europe to, I will say pre. International Trail Summit 2023 in Reno. Right. Yeah. And so, so, you know, I, I put this together, you know, one of the things, you know, it's, it, it's, it's called building a culture-based company. And as I have had the fortune of scaling the company over the last, you know, n- n- you know, this is year 19 and 2000, 2007 is really when the first time I had employees and, and trying to scale from the company of being me to me in a truck, to me in a truck and a trailer, to me a truck and trailer and a machine, and then having staff and and how can we build this industry? How can we build a company that wants to take care of its staff and 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 still at the end of the day stay in business? You know, that's that's the thing that we kind of forget in this industry. And I hear, I think we all hear it quite a bit, is it's like, you know, one, you can make a living doing that. And, and two, you can, you can, you can actually, you know, stay, stay in business doing that. And, you know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle that we all have, uh, you know, non, nonprofits and, and, and for-profits alike to, 
throw this in there is, is everybody forgets that a nonprofit is actually a business as well. Um, it just changes how you want to allocate the, the proceeds that you have for, from the year. Uh, it's, it's not just magic money magically appears and you can stay in business, right? You have to, you have to work at, go out there and get it. And a nonprofit has to get grants. And, and for us in the construction industry, we have to get, we have to bid on, on, on projects and they're very similar kind of in that, in that thought process. And so, uh, you know, many years ago, I also wanted to figure out a way to have the company not look just like me. And I never really understood. I never really understood what that meant. I never really developed an intention, just like growing the company. A lot of the concepts or were that I present about in, in this and, and, and we talk about across the, you know, the industry is, is, you know, I, I never really had a plan. I never had a plan to, to scale single track trails to this size. I never had a plan to have additional companies. I never had a plan for any of that. And I just had these ideas and and somehow some way they, they, they developed into something that happened. And so as, as I've scaled the company, you know, trying to keep in touch with our roots of, we were nomads and misfits, you know, we were fairies and elves that that was part of it. But and I stole this from a great friend of mine in Grand Junction it, with her, with her, some of her business ideas is she's, you know, you know, we have our why, how, and what from Simon Sinek. Uh, and you can go to our website and check that out. But, you know, there's another thing that I got from my friend, Jen, and it's like, you know, it's like, we're trying to prove that the greater social good and capitalism are not mutually exclusive constructs. And to me, what that means is you know what? We can do this really cool thing. We can make trails for everybody. We can take care of the world and we can take care of trails and we can take care of mother nature, but we can also take care of the humankind and, 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 you know, provide them with a place to go recreate. And at the end of the day, it's not a bad thing for my company to potentially make a profit doing what we're doing. And, and I hear this a lot and I've heard this in the past is as people have left the company, it's like, you're all about the money now. And I want to be like, you know, so I don't need to give you your paycheck next week. No, I got bills to pay. Like, okay, so we've come to an agreement. <laughs> you you want to get paid your paycheck. I need to make sure that we have money in the bank account so that you can, so I can pay you your paycheck. And so, you know, we can be mission-based as a company. We can try to do the best that we can for the world. But at the end of the day, if we're not paying our bills, if I'm, if I'm not paying my staff, if I'm not paying our our lenders, if I'm not paying, if I'm not, you know, keeping the business running in the right direction, you know, we can't be about a mission. The, you know, you can't, a business can't be about a mission if it's not in business. And I think that's, you know, you know, Patagonia is a great example. It's a mission-driven organization, right? You know, Yvonne, you know, sold it to Mother Earth and now Mother Earth owns it, right? Uh, he still kind of got a payday at the end of that. Uh, we we kind of we kind of forget that he got a little bit of a payday at the end when he sold it to Mother Ner Mother Nature. But you know, if they weren't selling clothes, they could not be about the mission that they are. And 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 we we need to realize that supporting Patagonia supports the supports the earth and supports the conservation of what we're doing. And paying for trail building supports. Are you know selfishly supports all of us who who use trails to as an escape for for mental health, for physical fitness, for for you know economic drivers of of tourism and or uh, people relocating, and so uh, you know as we kept growing through the company and, and realizing that we could do this stuff, uh, we then had to grow our our staff and we had to 
uh, we had to go find staff that that wanted to to work and travel. And as 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 much as as the middle twenties mountain biker guy who wants to build trail, he also wants to go sometimes ride his bike a little too much or on the shoulder seasons he he gets upset when he can't go get a a powder day 200 miles away from the project site or and so so we've scaled we've we've done a lot of hiring in new mexico over the last couple of years uh we had some staff go down to uh the navajo reservation uh near shiprock and we've hired a lot of people out of out of out of out of new mexico uh, we've done a, a great job of, of, you know, it's, it's a, str- it's a struggle to, to, to hire women, unfortunately, in this industry, if you look across the PTBA member companies, you know, there are a couple women founders, there are a couple women owners, but you know, the percentage of women in this industry is small. And I feel that our company kind of represents that, but it would be great to, to figure out how to, how to create a career path from the youth cores. I feel like youth cores do a great job of you know, hiring women and hiring, hiring, you know, people of color in the different areas. And we need to make sure that youth cores understand that it's not just something you can do for fun for a summer. It's a career that you can build and come to a, a company, a professional company. I got a couple directions we're going to go with this, but we'll stay Since you last spoke about women, we'll stick on that topic for a second. I mean, that's, it's the same with this podcast. I want to make sure that we're still, that we're representing women, especially fairly and i've had i've done about as good as i think i can do and i will continue to do this because tomorrow's interview is with another woman to Mm -hmm. represent that there is a clear career path for women in this industry and that's important to me because i have a couple daughters and i want to make sure they know they can do whatever it is they want to do if they want to be a dirt bag Mm -hmm. the rest of us that's great if they don't that's great too you know what Mm -hmm. i mean so it's it is super important to, to keep that going in the industry, the other direction I wanted to take this is with the nonprofit, because I think there's like a misconception out there with nonprofits. And you, mm-hmm. you said it, and I want to expand on this. Like, if a nonprofit is being run correctly, it is being run like a, a business and it is actually making a profit because that's how it can scale to be a better nonprofit to one, hire staff to get better. To give those staff the same benefits that you're talking about with single track trails or any of your other companies, but three, maybe even create an avenue or a foundation or a way to like give some of the profits that they make through through grants or otherwise back into the whatever community is they're operating in. That's I mean that's that's if the nonprofit operates truly at a nonprofit level, it probably isn't going to be a nonprofit much longer. And I think. I think what you're hitting on too is is again the professionalism of of the industry. You know, if I have a whole bunch of random ideas about you know they in other industries they usually call them foundations, right? Like or you know nonprofits that raise money to further cancer research or further pick pick you know maybe something else you know you know heart disease research uh, for some reason i'm stuck on the medical industry because they came to mind they're called foundations right and they're run by professionals and 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 they they raise a whole lot of money i'm huge into nonprofit radio uh, i really dig supporting radio stations across the country again they're nonprofits and the the really successful ones have development directors and they can go out and 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 people like you know again I, I I feel like 
if if I was to 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 make a mind blowing announcement, it's like I'm quitting single track trails and I'm going to go be the development director for a national an international radio station and and raise funds. People would be like, oh wow, that's it's kind of amazing that you're going to move on to that, right? They think that you know. But if if I was at a radio station and said I'm going to leave and I'm going to go be the executive director of of you know trails in the middle of nowhere foundation people would be like you're gonna do what you're gonna leave a great job and so so you know same thing is is, is across the industry our nonprofits have to think about our nonprofits in our industry have to think about how they're elevating their game and professionalizing how they're representing you know uh my my disclaimer in my presentation and in all my presentations is that i hike for a living i roll for recreation and so I get to hang out with a whole bunch of uh, uh, when I when I travel, I roll for recreation on my time off there and I get to hang out with mountain bike organizations. And there's a whole lot of a whole lot of mountain bike organizations that now have paid executive directors. You know what the hiking organizations don't have? You know what the horseback associations don't have in, the, in these local areas? You know what the, the general trails association doesn't really have in these areas are paid executive directors. And so it's like people wonder why trails are becoming mountain bike specific. It's like, well, like the advocacy game on the mountain bike side is professionalizing and there's somebody there being paid to go out and do it on a regular basis. And so as people, you know, again, like we have to elevate our game across the board and that's with our, our youth course, you know, they have to think about how they are professional contractors to a certain extent, you know, the, the, the advocacy groups have to think about how they are perfect, you know, professional fundraisers currently because we're not getting those line out of allocations and those who are building the trails have to think about how they're professionals and need to manage uh projects just like just like a a, a road trail builder would having 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 being able to put a, a, a timeline together for when they think they're going to be done and, and how much they think it's going to cost and the ability to talk about change orders confident confidently yeah that's that's a good one because that's something that happens more than most people know and don't even and don't understand and i mean it's something that i dealt with a lot at dot well and we're we're even bumping into the issue right now of we're working on a on a on a large project on the east coast in the mid-atlantic region right now and you know single track trails has become one of the larger companies in the country single track trails has developed one of the more sophisticated staffs of, of many of the trail building companies that exist out there in terms of having, you know, a client, somebody who can manage the contract and somebody who can do, and it's just like, we're getting laughed out of the room by, by the architect firm who deals with multinational road builders and building constructors and, and, and things like that. They're like, you guys, uh, you guys go out and play again. And it's just like, wait like you you like you don't understand our industry we're trying to tell you how this process works this is not building a road this is not building a building but you know it's just like you know but because because we don't we don't have we don't have the same you know bonding capacity of you know the 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 one that keeps coming to mind is like a cuit right if you've ever bumped into cuit i see their trucks all the time because they're repairing semi or, or interstates outside my my house right now it's like yeah if you're if you're dealing with a cuit they come they come you know people go to school they get construction management degrees they also have to go to work in a in a nice shirt and a tie and 
I'm lucky enough that I can sit here in a club ride collared shirt. And a lot of people think I'm overly dressed up and, and, and this engineering firm thinks that we're like, we're, we're just a bunch of kids playing around. Speaking of that, this is a little bit different offshoot from what we were just talking about, but it's going to fall in line. And that is with the professionalization of the industry and attracting professionals like that to our industry, how much thought do you, in your mind, have we, or have we not put into benefits? Because if we're going to attract. Oh, we're. <laughs> you and you, you figure we, out where I'm going to this. I, I, I know exactly where you're going with this. And, and fortunately this is a podcast. So everybody can't see the look on my face <laughs> uh, when, when you went down this and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's something we're bumping into with single track trails right now. It's something that, that the industry isn't thinking about, but it's just like, you know, as an industry, as a whole, you know, this is, this is across many different companies. I, I think, I think we can all hang out and talk about the same things of just like, we need to hire some skilled machine operators. And it's just like, you know, we can't steal them from the construction industry because we can't pay them what they get to go out and dig a road. And let's not forget, in my opinion, you there's there's skilled operators and then there's skilled trail finishers right and it's not it's not that the person at the back of the line doing the hand crafting and the finish work with the finish rake and the snippers should make less they're craftsmen they're artists they they have solid amounts so, so why can't we pay you know our finishers the same that we pay operators and then i've often thought about this as i drive down and looking at at interstate construction offices as as you drive by and you know especially here in colorado and utah and wyoming it's like there's always some pickup with a shuttle pad on the on the back of tailgate right and it's like i really want to find out who that person is sitting in that construction office that temporary construction office and just go like hey man like you could actually come like manage a construction project building what you what you could ride on the weekends but i know that we probably can't pay them you know what they get paid to sit there in that construction office for, from that. But, you know, like, you know, to, to brag for a second is last year, single track trails. We, we have the ability now we offer healthcare to our staff. Uh, you have to elect into that. Uh, we offer a short-term disability as well. We offer a simple IRA. We, you know, we, we feel like we offer competitive wages, but that's only in our industry, right? Like we only offer this stuff in, in our, in our tiny old industry. And, and if we look at, say, up up in your neck of the woods, there's a whole bunch of projects in specifically Minnesota where the prevailing the prevailing wage, like I would figure out how to come out of trail building retirement if if we had to work up there and go pay myself that salary. <laughs> yeah. And um, for reference, for the listeners that don't know what Greg is talking about here, the prevailing wage is everything to do with union contracts and aligning trail building with what would be in a union contract for any other trade within that state. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was thinking of, uh, you mentioned the, the U word there and I was thinking about some, some feedback that we got after my presentation in Reno. So. Well, I, I mean, I, yeah, we don't like the U word could inside a whole different conversation. It is. It is. That actually, actually kind of had this conversation with someone else today off the record anyhow. So. But I yeah. guess my point, the point of bringing up the benefits part is like, Hey, if we're going to, if we're going to attract these professionals that, you know, went to school for construction management, management that went to school for civil engineering, architecture, name the professional 
licensure that you have or potentially get with that degree, we also need to be competitive with how we're going to get that person into our industry. And one of the things you hear all the time with trail building is that it is like literally the cheapest form of infrastructure one could build and offers, let me qualify infrastructure when comparing it to a tennis court, basketball court, baseball fields, other forms of recreation infrastructure we'll talk about. And Mm -hmm. when you look at what it can do in terms of like being diverse in terms of like, you can't really play tennis, anything other than tennis on a tennis court. You can go trail running, hiking, mountain biking, horseback riding in some cases, UTVs or power sports in some cases on trails, sometimes 365 days a year, close to that, depending on the climate, you know? So does that mean we need to really look at how much we're charging and not like have it be a race to the bottom in terms of bidding contracts. I don't know if we're ever not going to get away from lowest bid contracts, right? Like that's just a standard that that's been established, but we need to figure out a way that people understand that, you know, outdoor recreation has as much value and specifically here trails in terms of outdoor recreation infrastructure has as much value as a swimming pool, as a basketball court, as a skate park. And yeah, and then when you when you look at what we what we can do for outdoor, you know, for natural surface trail construction in comparison to what it costs to build a rec center or you know like 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 the cost of building a rec center and putting all the equipment in there and and you know what they also get when they when they build a rec center, they get an operations and maintenance budget. <laughs> <laughs> and usually when we build trails, it's you build the trail and it's going to last for 20 years and it's never going to need maintenance. Right. Uh, which, which we, we already had our soapbox for, for a couple hours on your podcast about, so, so we don't need to go there right now, but it's, you know, thinking about the Palisade plunge that we built, you know, over a couple years and it was 32 miles, you know, start to finish our contracts, our, you know, it was $1.3 million for the two phases for us to build. Uh, you know, I think they had a planning contract in the $500,000 to $750,000 range. This doesn't count all the volunteer time of, of hiking through scrub oak in remote locations to, to flag it to get it to that point. I don't know exactly what the shirt tail point trailhead cost to build off the top of my head but you know like we're, we're talking five five million dollars roughly plus minus with with a whole bunch of other things that went into this project and you get you get natural you know natural surface recreation and it's like most rec centers are going for you know get built for well north of five million dollars at this point um you and can't then, build a basic pool for five million dollars today and I mean, one that doesn't have a roof over it and all the other things. I'm talking an outdoor pool. An, an outdoor pool. Does it have a slide? People that live where I live will understand this reference, but there is a basic outdoor pool built in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And it was like $5 million. Does it have a, I think it has a little slide. What it doesn't have, it was built in, I want to say 2018 or 19, just pre-COVID. Right. It doesn't have zero depth entry. Wow. How do you, wow. how, I, I get it in 1982. I don't get it right. in 2019. And well, it was $5 million. I mean, so I guess that where I was going with this is that was a $5 million yeah. pool. Right. And, and again, that's another, you know, you're hitting, it's another way that 
we have to professionalize our industry as well is thinking about adaptive athletes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, especially mountain bike, you know, you know, we should never advocate for a trail under 36 inches wide. You, you know, it's super fun for an able-bodied person to ride a 36, a 36 inch wide trail. And, you know, and you, you can also get, uh, uh, somebody on a, on a paraplegic, an adaptive athlete on a pair, on a, on a, on a trike down a 36 inch wide trail. You know what they can't go down a 30 inch wide trail, a 24 inch wide trail. And, you know, you know, the sooner, the sooner we can start thinking about building for more people in our industry, the sooner, the sooner we professionalize, the sooner we get more line item allocations and, you know, more acceptance across, across multiple industries. You know, again, I like to quote my presentation. It's like, you know, according to OIA outdoor industry association, the economic impact of the outdoor rec industry is like 800 some billion dollars. Now I I, I'm brain farting on, on the number and it's bigger than motor vehicles and pharmaceutical industries combined. And it's like, like you're inundated, like, like pharmaceutical companies, it's a smaller industry yet they still make enough money off of their product to just like, whenever I get to hang out in a bar in the evening and watch a basketball game, I feel like every other ad is for some pharmaceutical that they want you to, to take. it's like, well, they make enough money for ads. We should be able to like, we're a bigger industry. We should be able to make enough money to pay our staff a living wage, a mortgage paying salary a a family supporting wage. And I'm going to say the people that work in those industries can probably afford the new tra- uh, SRAM transmission on their bikes if they wanted to. They probably could. Yes, you are. You are correct. But I like I like to make myself feel better and just say they have they have much more that, you know, they buy more stuff and finance more stuff. So they have more debt than me. That that that's that's my that's that's my 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 way, you know, more more money, more problems. Right. Yeah. Getting back to the adaptive thing, like I recorded a podcast or an episode for this, for this just before, well, it was at noon today, central time. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the podcast, I sent the, the zoom link over to a good friend of mine, Jeremy P McGee, uh-huh. who jumped in that zoom conf, you know, so it ended up becoming a, a three-way zoom that we recorded in the right. middle of it, you know, with, uh, that'll come up before this show. And that was with Ethan Edmond, who is the trail crew leader for trailblazers in, in Bentonville. Right. and. Jeremy popped in and started talking about the advances they've been able to make for getting him and everyone that needs a 36 inch wide trail, more 36 mm-hmm. inch wide trail in that region mm-hmm. and how that's just becoming the standard now moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and exactly right. But we, we, as, as an industry and, and we, as recreational mountain bike recreationalists, don't do us any favors when, when we complain about something being 36 inches wide, uh, you know, more people outside, right. It's, it's what we should all be trying to do is just getting more people outside. Uh, I'll, I'll blow up your, your, your podcast, uh, followers with this one is there's nothing wrong with an e-bike if it gets more people outside. Oh, don't worry. We it's, talk about that regularly and it's, it's right. a positive thing. <laughs> I just, I, I can't, I can't wait for the hate mail to come, come in on that one. Right. It's just like, you know, if, if you're getting upset because you got passed by, actually, I'll tell you this story. We were at 18 road and last weekend and there were, you know, it's e-bike curious. You're allowed to have your class ones out there. And there are a whole bunch of, you know, 
grandparents riding e-bikes on prime cut on pbr on joe's ridge and and i was like we're pedaling back up you know like the first lap we pedal up prime cut second lap we pedal up the single track next to the road and the third lap it's like okay let's just go up the road and get up as fast as we can and we get passed by the group and the guy's like what did he say it was it was one of the grandparents and he said something about like you know getting passed by an e-biker or like like getting passed by an 87 year old person and he's like oh but i'm on an e-bike and i was just like you know what i'm all about more people outside i'm glad you're out here having fun but you don't have to be a dick about being on an e-bike <laughs> and and it's just like 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 it was all fine until you had to throw in my face that you're on an e-bike and that's why it's just like but the thing is 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 he probably would have done the same thing if he was on an analog and 30 years younger he would have passed me and just be like ah young whippersnappers getting passed by the old dude it's just like that that's the problem is it's not the bike the the bike is not offending you mm-hmm. it's the it's the people on it so i've came i came to that conclusion a few years ago and i've talked about it at yeah. you know more than once on this show that it it's you can be an asshole on an acoustic bike or a muscle bike as uh, the angry single speeder will say <laughs> um, or you can be an asshole on an e-bike it's not like you just said it's not the tool it's the person that's operating the tool yes you know, yes and, and unfortunately and he's every, no longer What's he's that? no longer angry. He he the angry single speeder is no longer angry. He went to therapy. He found he found love. He found he found the future and now he whispers about trails. Yes. He's prophetic. We do like Kurt. Kurt is pretty awesome. Yes. Yes. So yeah, I, I mean I just rode a road bike ride last Thursday and one of the one of the guys on that ride is a 70-year-old retired doctor and he's on that new trek whatever their low wattage e, e road bike is. And mm-hmm. he was able to, to ride with the group and enjoy nice. himself with the group. In fact, nice. you wouldn't even really know he was on an e-bike cause he didn't say anything about it. You kind of could tell because of the bottom bracket area is a little bit bigger, but it wasn't like he mm-hmm. threw it in your face at all. Mm-hmm. He's happy to be there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And more, more people outside to support what we do. Yeah. Do we miss anything on the actual, on the presentation? Am I, am I forgetting to ask you something or did you, are you forgetting to tell me something or should we go into feedback from the presentation and oh, your general I thoughts think, from the, from the summit as well? Yeah, I think, I think we can move on. I think, I think we hit a lot of good points about the presentation and, and professionalizing and, and, you know, there's certain slides, but I think they're more company specific to single track trails. So I think, I think we've done a good job at that point. So we can go on to, to feedback and, and, outtakes from 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 the conference yeah so what what was some of the feedback i know there are some questions at the end of your presentation you know there there was some good questions there at the end there was the guy there you know there's a guy on the that was next to me and i can't remember what he asked but it was definitely a, a weird ask i can't, i wish i i wish i would have wrote that one down uh was was he the last the last question yeah he was towards the end definitely yeah uh, some some feedback that I got was everybody was getting up and and I guess I kind of cut him off on his question, and so so I, I was because I, as people were getting up I was trying to answer I was like that well, that's that's actually good constructive feedback, but there there's the one like 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 there was definitely when we hit down, uh, my co presenter definitely had a slide about the industry as a whole and a- average salaries right and and so that kind of opened up s- some cans of worms about. You know, specifically, Drew had a a slide that you know the average salary I th- is, in the outdoor rec industry is seventy five thousand dollars a year, 
and that's all of outdoor rec, right? That's 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 probably all outdoor rec. That's all that stuff. But again, the the conference itself is mostly focused on trail building, and attended mostly by trail builders. And that number is well north of of what a lot of trail builders will make. You know, if for for my staff, you know, it's the average is probably going to be below that, but. You also have to, you know, there's the hourly wage or your salary, but and if you travel, you get a stipend for that. You get travel reimbursement. You know, I I see a lot of W twos each year, close to eight, you know, seventy to eighty thousand dollars for 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 people who, if you work year round for single track trails and travel a lot, your W two, including your reimbursements, is going to be in in that range. And and but again, it's it's uh, if, if we're professionalizing the industry people coming with a quote unquote professional degree are going to want that 75 at a minimum. And that's our industry just doesn't support that at this point. And for hourly, hourly labor out there, the guy, you know, the folks, the folks that are out there swinging tools, swinging on excavators, driving the, the trail dozer and, and all that stuff. Like, you know, we we can't quite you know with the numbers that we're competitively bidding projects at, you know we we can't really pay you know anywhere close to an annual a salary of seventy five thousand dollars a year. We're we're trying to get there, but it's it's just not quite quite happening yet. And and so so that led into some other discussion. And and there's there's always one person like, well, you can get pro deals. It's like, uh, it's always a funny one. It's like I mean we all. I mean, every everybody wants to find a way to buy 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 their product cheaper, right? Myself included. Uh, I was having I was having a conversation last night with some friends about about a, a barbecue device that I have here at the house, and and I was able to I was able to get it at a discount. But you know, it's just like shopping sales is what pro deals are. And it's just direct access. But it's just like you know, it, that's that's a tough thing. It's like you know, if you have a mortgage, you can't you can't send hey. I just got my bike on pro deal. Can will you take this as my as my mortgage? Like, will you take my pro deal as a as a payment for my mortgage this this month? You know, like I want to keep the bike that I just bought, but you can have access to my pro deal and pay my mortgage that way. Like it doesn't it doesn't work that way. You know, it's like we we've often joked in the past in the company. It's like, well, they're trying hard. It's just it's it's tough work. It's like I understand they're trying hard, but I can't I can't pay them in tryhards. They can't take tryhards to the bank and get IOUs for, for paying their mortgage. And so, you know, we, we have to do that. And then there was an even smaller discussion after the session happened. And, uh, some, somebody was saying how we as an industry need to unionize so that we can all get, get paid more. And here you go, bringing that U word back in. I, I brought, I brought it up and, uh, you know, I think being a good, a good Midwest, you know, I, I have, I have friends, you know, I have old I have family that were union people. I have, you know, friends that have, you know, like there, there's, there's a reason why, why unions exist. But for me, and, and what I said to this person was like, if, if my staff came to me wanting to become a union shop, like I would feel as a failure for what I'm trying to do as a, as, as a business owner, like I'm trying to treat them well, I'm trying to pay them well and trying to within the, within the means of the contracts that we have, and she was kind of, it was a she, and this person was a little mind blown on, on that concept. And I was like, I would probably like, you know, like 
I'm a small company. I'm a, I'm just one person. I, I, I don't know if I could, you know, handle the le- the, the legalities of, of running a union shop on my own. I would probably just close up my company and, and go do something else. And, and like the eyes got bigger and bigger. Like you, like, it's like, like, it's just not that you can go and, and, and demand more money. And I say, Oh, Hey, Oh, I forgot about this pot of cash behind me. Here's the rain. Like I didn't even see that I was at the end of the rainbow. I there's, there's this pot of gold here. I can just pay you more. It's like, we have to, we have to go get the contracts. We have to elevate, you know, per foot rates and get larger contracts. And then therefore we also have to have a higher, you know, construction efficiency and, and get the work done fat. Like there's a whole lot of things that go into being able to pay you more money. It's not just, Hey, you should double my salary and, and I'll be happier. It's like, I, I wish I could do that. I, you know what I, you know who I really wish I could do that for me. I, I've been running a business for 19 years. You know how many years I went with only taking one third of my paychecks so that I could help scale this company. A lot of them. So, so just because I own the company doesn't mean I'm rich. Yeah. And I do think, and this is kind of where I was going earlier, like we need to place more value on what we're putting down for a product and yeah. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, to, it might not I cost exactly. a pool, but it should cost more than it probably is. Cause it's definitely having a bigger impact than, than what it's costing in my opinion. I was at another conference in Reno last year in, in 2022 and there was a round table session and whatnot. And, and, and a couple of us got, got tapped on the shoulder. Like you've been in the industry for a while. Why don't you, you stand up and give some advice to the room on, on things, on something that you've learned in the last 19 years for me specifically, or in the last many years. And, and my, I got up and it was like, we need to value ourselves. And, and specifically it's like, if, you know, there was, there was a comment like, well, the, the land agency, came back and said, well, you want X, but we only have one third X. Can you still get this done? And I was like, you have to walk. I was like, you have to walk away from that. Like we as an industry have to walk away. Like, like we as an industry, when, when, when we do, when we give a client X, but then we do one third X or, Hey, by the way, we give them X for X amount of work, but then we give them three X of the work we're not doing, we're not doing us any favors for people to value us because we don't value ourselves. You know, you know, change orders exist in this world for a reason because other industries learned that in order to make a living, you have to make sure that you're charging your client what, what needs to happen. And, and so, so yeah, so it's always going to be competitive. Unfortunately, it will always go to the low bid. And what I like to say is, is there's no bad contractors in this world. There's just bad contract managers, which doesn't always go over well with the contract managers, but it's just like, you know, it's like, Hey, like, like, Oh, they've never built trail before. And their, their bid is one third, this PTBA members companies. And it's like, maybe we should ponder that. Maybe, maybe they don't really know what they're doing. Or in the case of other projects, we've bumped in, come in and stuck our nose into where maybe a general contractor was. And we were one third their number. We don't feel like we're devaluing the industry because we're also bidding above where the industry typically is. But we have a resume that goes behind it, and we have we have the people capable of doing uh, of of estimating and making sure that we're covering covering our expenses and 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 business needs. So, but the the sooner you know, the sooner people stop thinking that that you know. How about the best way to put it is you know. 
Uh, I've seen other builders apologize like, oh, I'm sorry, that's so expensive. It's like, don't apologize that expensive, value yourself. And don't say, you know, don't be like, oh, you know, like we like, oh man, they did it for that. That was so expensive. It didn't, didn't really happen. You know, and, and people will look at projects that single track trails have won, especially in the last year. And specifically one in our headquarters backyard was our bid was under other people, but you know what we have? a 20 year history of working in that, in that desert. And so, so, so we were able to, to have a really sharp pencil on that because we also didn't want to let it go to another builder. Well, and and with that, there are also bad contracts and that's the other area of professionalization within the industry of like being able to write contracts. So you don't see, you can get the proper people that are qualified to bid on it. A, but B, you don't necessarily need to have the change orders because you're not finding the issues with, I mean, there's always going to be an unforeseen thing. Mm -hmm. You can't avoid that, but if you can get tighter plans or designs and contract language, then you can get better, more fair prices. And then you have the whole, the people that, and I've seen this a lot in the road industry, they're really good at looking at contracts and they find a blow in your project. And so they bid it low based on knowing they're going to be able to make it back up on a change order or five there's all of that right and but at the same time i also disagree with you a little bit in terms of finding ways to build better contracts yes but at the same time being able to work across agencies across states across the country contracts are about partnerships right and 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 usually when a contract goes bad for us i shouldn't use the word but when a contract goes difficult for us it's usually not the contract language and it's 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 usually not it's usually not you know what we're doing or what that we're doing it's a lack of communication between us and the client it's a lack of communication about expectations you know no matter what words you put into a contract about ex, you know what the trail should look like if uh actually i'll, I'll give you a prime example i was on a mandatory pre-bid in california last year and we were looking at a at a rogue trail and they wanted to make a downhill trail. And the great thing is, and this trail was like just over a mile long, had a 17% trail grade. And we show up, mandatory bid, there's a whole bunch of general contractors there. And the first thing they do is start walking us straight up the hill. And all the all the people who are not used to walking up, up trails are falling like flies and going back to the parking lot like, oh, we don't want to work on this. And we get to a spot and 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 we're waiting for people to catch up. And I I, I asked a couple questions. I was like, so you want to you want a downhill trail? You want a mountain bike specific trail directional? Do you want a linear pump track? Do you want a massive jump line with gap mandatory gaps, or do you want gnarly UCI regulate you know DH course? And the and the city guy looked at me. He's like, I don't even know how to answer that question. And I looked at the guy next to me. I'm like, he just did. <laughs> it's like if if you can't sit there and like hey we have this contract out to bid but we don't know what the expectation is and we don't know how to describe the terms that uh, of what we want to do then then I'm 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 going to run pretty fast from 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 that project and that was a well funded contract they were nice enough to give us their budget ahead of time it was well funded it would have been it would have been a nice a nice project but when 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 you ask a client about a mountain bike trail and it's like it's three different versions and they're just like i don't even know how to answer that it's like well then i don't even know how to bid it actually like i can't like those are three different styles of trail those are three different styles styles of bidding 
those are three different styles that it, it would actually cost fairly different to build all of them. Oh, for sure. Well, and that's something that is trending or at least changing. Hopefully I've, I think we're seeing it change where you have people in those offices that are now mountain bikers or would potentially understand that question more, but it, that like everything is going to take time, you know, mm-hmm. or at least, or, or better yet, you have agencies that are starting to hire for positions like that, that have that expertise. And maybe it is coming out of the trail industry into, you know, the public world. Mm-hmm. Well, should we get to the wrap up of the conference? And- yeah, we should. Okay. What are your thoughts on the conference in terms of like, it was obviously well attended. I think they said just under a thousand people were there. There was, I think, 27 different countries, 49 states. I'm trying to figure out what the one state is that didn't show up. <laughs> uh, Maybe it was Rhode Island. I don't know. <laughs> that, that would be a good guess. I was going to assume some other ones, but but that uh, that would probably be a good guess. Uh, because, I mean, it is Rhode Island for a reason. Um, haha, joke, joke. Oh, I mean, holy, wow, that was a lot of people. In 2015, we did a combined PTBA American Trails conference, and it probably had, you know, 400 or 500 people. And that was like, wow, this is big. But to, to, to be there, to continue to see the, the, the attendee list kind of grow and grow and grow the, like the weeks preceding. Uh, it was good to have the federal agencies able to travel again. It was good to have nonprofits there. It was good to see just a whole lot of people that believe in trail-based recreation and outdoor recreation uh, as a reason to get together and learn from each other. And yeah, it was it was it was incredible to see how how many people were there and uh, the amount of traffic that we had coming through our booth was was pretty pretty phenomenal as well. And, uh, I guess that's what happens when you, when you have a, a tumbler to give away and you make people have to work for it is, is they have to come see you and, uh, and, and chat with you, but it was, you had a prime location just, too. And you had pretty much like a, a lobby of like chairs and stuff to hang out in. We had a lobby for people to hang out in. Uh, the, the funny part though, is that location was an afterthought. Because they forgot, like we we gave them our, we we said we would sponsor and we wanted three booths and they forgot to put us on the chart. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so that, that location, that location turned out to be the prime spot, but it was an afterthought. They're like, well, we can maybe do something right here. And it was just like, okay, that, that, that'll work. And then when we got there, it's like, this will work quite well. So, but the, the conversation to see people from, you know, that, you know, the, federal agencies there to see people from youth corps there uh to see younger people there as well i think that's always that's always a key thing uh to see people to see non-white people there was is pretty awesome uh and to see you know again circling back to something that we were talking about earlier is i feel that, that there's a higher in comparison to the PTBA conference, there's a higher representation of of women at the American Trails conference than at at the at the at the Builder conference, and and so you know I think that's that's a, a, a it's a it was phenomenal to see the, the breadth of people that attended the conference and 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 chatting you know chatting with this one guy who wants to he's moving from Colorado to Guam in the summer 
for the next 15 to 20 years, his wife is a doctor and he's going to go start a nonprofit and build trails on Guam. And then she's like, yeah, you're going to have like in 20 years, you're going to have that place littered uh, with it's, it's not very big. <laughs> so, um, but it was, it was great. And, you know, lots of good presentations uh, that, that, that people gave and, and, overall it was it was a a mind-blowing experience to see to see that many people together and you know again if if we're claiming you know to me outdoor recreation is one of the biggest economic impacts in the country and trails are the foundation of that and so we're finally getting together coming out of the woodwork and and making people realize that that we are we are uh an industry worth worth supporting yes yes that is super important i know the first day for the the keynote speeches and that I it, the light bulb went off in my head that uh, clearly I'm vacationing wrong. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to a conference for on vacation, which I was <laughs> for that, and it's sponsored by Federal Highways, and I work for an agency or used to work for an agency that was that's funded by Federal Highways, right. with with a present person on the presentation panel from Federal Highways. So I've joked when I came back to the DOT. That clearly, you know, to upper management, I'm like, clearly I'm vacationing wrong if this is what I'm doing for vacation. But it's not Correct. because it is good. So, yeah, it's a it's a workcation. Yeah, exactly. So cool. Well, Greg, if we is there anything, any thank yous you want to throw out or any any words of wisdom that you want to wrap this one up with? Uh, words, words of wisdom are we're burgeoning industry. And, and we're on the sharp end of professionalizing it. And uh, internally with my staff, I was, I was, you know, if you think about PTBA as, as an organization, if you think about trails as recreation, our industry is maybe 40 years old, you know, and people are like, well, what about the CCC? It's like, that was government subsidized back in the twenties. Right. But the thought of people being paid to build trail and outdoor recreation infrastructure is really only 40 years old and and even more so and I was chatting with a, a European friend this morning about this is one could argue that the foundation of the industry really only started in the 90s and we're in the middle of those hiccups and 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 like there aren't many industries in in this world that we can sit on the sharp end of the stick and develop and that's that's a that's a mind blowing concept at this point in this world of like we're we're creating something that really hasn't been there before and and so the thought that you know moms don't quite approve of this career choice it, it like yeah it's 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 unproven but we're here we're here proving it yeah and that's a huge responsibility too that we can definitely take seriously and really move forward with and make it so it's a lot better for other professionals to move into the space mm-hmm. comfortably comfortably yes with the ability, with the ability to, uh, to su- support their family. Yes. Well, Greg, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and recreating this audio version of the value of a professional dirt bag for the listeners of the trail Facts podcast and stay awesome. tuned for Thank part you. two, cause that's going to have drew and everything that he had talked about during this presentation. All right. That'll be, that'll be a good one. Thank you for listening. Next week, we'll be featuring part two of the value of a professional dirt bag with Drew Pollock-Bruce, a senior recreation planner for the SE Group and president of the Society of Outdoor Recreation Professionals. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. 
Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to Trail Effect on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating interview, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect podcast, check out the affiliate links tab on the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Cattle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, Trail One Components, and now 230 USA. By using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which helps keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.